This evening there are two readings, um, the first from Isaiah chapter 25 and the second in Luke chapter 13. So Isaiah 25, 6 to 9, which is on page 708, and then Luke chapter 13, verse 31, which is on 1047. I'm going to start in Isaiah On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces, he will remove the disgrace of his people from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day they will say, Surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. And... Luke 13, verse 31. At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, Leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. He replied, Go tell that fox, I will drive out demons and heal people today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will reach my goal. In any case, I must keep going today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your chicken children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There, in front of him, was a man suffering from dropsy. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him away. Then he asked them, If one of you has a son or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull him out? And they had nothing to say. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honour at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honour, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, Give this man your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, Friend, move up to a better place. 
Then you will be honoured in the presence of your fellow guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or relatives, or your rich neighbours. If you do, they might invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I am on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I have just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, Go out to the roads and country lanes, and make them come in, so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good evening. Uh, I hope you're not hungry, because this passage is all about foods. Um, And uh, if you are able to get hold of one of the uh, handouts for your nights... It's really helpful. So, if you want to think more about the sermon, then there's some great questions on the Unite handout. Perhaps Unite, you should be giving these to the whole church family. So, thank you for who did that. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you for this opportunity to hear your words to us. And we pray this evening you'd help us to hear and encourage us and challenge us, we pray. Amen. Amen. We'll do turn to page uh, 1047, and uh, we'll look at Luke's Gospel. Uh, You don't have to be posh to be privileged. Sound familiar? Our our culture has a funny attitude towards privilege. Uh, We look up to some people, and we want to be like them, and then we look down on others, and we're thankful we're not like them. It reminds me a little bit of the sketch with John Cleese and the two Ronnies, you know, I look up to him because, I look down to him because, and you lot are wondering, what on earth am I talking about? But privilege is something in our society, isn't it? We, We desire to be amongst the privileged, whether that's financially, socially, or materially. We want to be in the inner circle of friendships, relationships, clubs, groups, 
or we want to be looked up to by others. But at the same time, we, we want to try and find things that um, distinguish us from others. We look up to people and aspire to be like them, but we also want to find things that distinguish us from, from those people down there. Things that mark us out as valuable, special. Things that make us feel like we belong to that privileged inner circle. Our society seems to be one that just can't help but look up and look down. And perhaps one of the clearest ways of um, this privilege being uh, demonstrated is in parties. I don't know if you, whenever you've gone to the dentist, you find yourself looking at that table of magazines. And you find yourself reading a magazine you would never normally read. And it's one of those sort of socialite magazines where there's, you know, four or five pages of photos from the latest Hampshire Life engagement. And all, it's a charity ball or a promotional event, and, and the who's who of Hampshire are there. It's the privileged party. You're not there because you don't belong at parties like that. And I want you to try and capture that image, that idea of a party as we dive into Luke's gospel this evening. In our passage, Luke, Jesus is going to tell various parables, stories about feasts, banquets. And these type of parties, these feasts, were the domain of the privileged. Look at 14 verse 1. We read that Jesus tells these parables whilst he's eating in the house of a prominent Pharisee. Pharisees were part of the privileged ruling elite of Israel. These guys are the insiders. They're the cool ones. They're the people we look up to. And as Jesus eats and teaches with those guys, uh, one of the men sat at the table, 14 verse 15, says this to Jesus. Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. It's a really key verse. Now, this gathering that Jesus is with might be a gathering of the ruling privileged elites, but the truly privileged are those who will feast in the kingdom of God. There are um, not many things that make me happier in life than food, you can probably tell. And um, one of my favourite restaurants is Cosmo. Have you ever been to Cosmo? It is all-you-can-eat heaven. And there's food from all around the world, including the good old British Sunday lunch and chips. And you, just, you can just go and feast and feast and feast and feast and feast. It's brilliant. I love it. And in Isaiah chapter 25, I, Isaiah describes this day. This day when God's kingdom will come, when God will swallow up death forever and establish his kingdom, Isaiah describes that as a feast, a banquet, all the choice foods. Now, we know, Isaiah, I'll just read it out for you. He says this, The Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. The kingdom of God is like a feast. You see, if you have an idea of uh, being a Christian, living in God's kingdom as anything other than a feast, then we've got the wrong idea. To be in God's kingdom is to enjoy 
bountiful riches and pleasures that God provides for his people. It's the party to end all parties, the feast to end all feasts. To live in God's kingdom now is to enjoy a life of blessing, of happiness, of joy. Now, of course, we live now in the now and not yet of that kingdom. We know it in parts, and yet now we still live in a world of pain, of tears, of death, of brokenness. But one day, Isaiah 25 will come true, and Christ will return and establish his kingdom. And it will be that perfect feast with no more pain and tears. To receive God's kingdom is to be truly blessed, to be truly privileged. So our man in verse 15 speaks a glorious truth. And he says it confidently to Jesus as one who thinks he belongs. But here's the thing, and it's the sobering message of these chapters and verses. It's that the privileged people in God's kingdom are not who you might think. Last week, uh, Tim in his sermon highlighted 13 verse 23. Just flip back to it and uh, someone asked Jesus this question. They say, Jesus, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? Or to put the question another way, it's who will be saved? Who's going to be part of this kingdom? And the crushing response of Jesus that we saw last week is that many who think they are in God's kingdom will meet Jesus and he will say to them, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all of you evildoers. And we see in verses 28 to 30 that Jesus primarily has Israel in mind when he says these words. You see, up to this point, Israel have uh, uh, been privileged. They've enjoyed the rich privilege of being God's chosen people. But now we see them rejecting God's chosen king. And shortly they will plot to kill him. And so Jesus says, look, Israel, your privileged position is about to come to an end. In the language of chapter 13, verse 6 to 9, it's time for the fig tree to finally be cut down. And in verse 34, we read Jesus' lament at what's happening. Just follow along with me. Jesus says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you are not willing Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. She is saying, Israel, what are you doing? These verses reveal Jesus' love and his compassion for his people, the people that have rejected him. Do not underestimate what a significant moment this is in the timeline of God's relating to his people. Time is up for Israel. They're being cut off. Why is that happening to Israel? Well, it's because they don't want to give up their earthly privileges. 
Israel's leaders, the Pharisees, they have a really privileged position in society. That's why they're at this party. And when Jesus comes along, he threatens their standing, their authority, their status, their privilege. And so they refuse to respond to Jesus. I don't know, you may have not noticed this, but if you look at um, chapter 13, verses 10 uh, to 17, Luke describes, he writes a time about when Jesus heals someone on the Sabbath. And then he does so again in chapter 14, verses 1 to 6. And as you read the accounts, you think they're both really similar. So why has Luke recorded Jesus doing this again? We've just had He's just done this. Why again? Well, there's one difference, or one major difference anyway, it's this. The first time when Jesus heals on the Sabbath, the Pharisees really complain. They have a go at Jesus. The second time, the Pharisees say nothing. And their silence speaks louder than words. You see, now they know that it's, it's pointless to argue with Jesus. If they try and argue, Jesus will just expose them. But rather than actually respond to Jesus and recognize who he is, they silently and stubbornly refuse to recognize Jesus' authority. Despite what Jesus has just said about Israel and what's going to happen to them, the Pharisees persist in not recognizing or accepting Jesus. They refuse to give up their earthly privileges. And so with that in mind, what Jesus does is he, he tells some, a few parables about feasting and eating to help his followers and the Pharisees to understand and to see what, got, what kingdom people are actually like. I don't know if you've... Um, ever been at one of those dinners, you know, a nice posh dinner, and there's one person around the table who keeps on saying really awkward things. They raise an awkward topic of politics or religion, you know, Brexit, and you sigh and everyone, oh. Or perhaps someone's just really rude. It's really awkward. It's awkward dinner time conversation. Well, look, Jesus is that guy. Imagine the scene, okay, verse 7 of chapter 14. Uh, People are chatting away, and Jesus looks around and he sees where people are chatting, sitting. And so he tells a parable about where people should sit at a wedding. Now, we know at weddings that uh, there are special seats of honor, don't we? The top table. In Jesus' day, it was no different. I don't think they probably had little place names that were, you know, on stones or whatever the latest fad was. But there was an honor culture, an honor culture where you knew where the people who were to be honored would sit. They'd sit in the best places. There was a code. And so Jesus tells this parable. He says, when someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this man your seat. Then humiliated you will have to take the least important place. That would be humiliating, wouldn't it? Because the guests of honor always enter last. 
So you imagine, you see the wedding party come in, and as they approach the top table, you see Dave. Dave, a mate from university, sat in one of the seats for the honours. And it's awkward, and someone says, sorry, Dave, that's not your seat. And by this point, there's only other one seat left, and it's right at the back. And so poor Dave has to do the humble walk of shame to his seat right at the back. That's humiliating. Instead, Jesus says, verse 10, when you're invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friends, move up to a better place. Then you'll be honoured in the presence of all your fellow guests. This is a parable about humility. Verse 11, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. This parable shows us that kingdom people are not self-promoting, but humble. The religious leaders, they refuse to recognize who Jesus is because in their world, they are the privileged ones. And they don't want to give that up. And Jesus says, as a result, you don't belong in my kingdom. Those who exalt themselves against God will be humbled. So let me ask you this question this evening. Whose kingdom do you want to build? Your own? Or God's? Or to put it another way, uh, which kingdom do you work to promote? Which kingdom do you want people to see in you? Do you make decisions based on what's best for your status and reputation and privilege? Or God's? Do you make decisions that base that are choices that promote you or God's? amongst your family and friends. You see, Jesus is saying, look, if you know that the feast of God's kingdom awaits you, where the humble will be exalted, you don't need to promote yourself now. Kingdom people are not self-promoting, but humble. Well, that's going to be awkward, isn't it, around the dinner table? And if you think, well, just when it can't get any more awkward, it does. Jesus goes again. Verse 12. He looks around this table full of the privileged elites and he says to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or relatives or your rich neighbours. If you do, they may invite you back and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. In other words, he says to the host, look, you've invited all these people today because you know it will be good for you in some way. You know they'll repay you in some way. Perhaps it will do your reputation or your social status good. Or perhaps you know that they'll return the favour and invite you back. Jesus said, no, 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 instead, when you invite a meal, invite people who can't pay you back. Invite people who won't do anything for your reputation socially. 
You see, kingdom people are not self-serving, but selfless. So again, let me ask you, which kingdom do you want to build? Your own or God's? Which kingdom motivates the way you spend your time and money? Do you give to receive? Or do you sacrifice to serve? Do you make lifestyle choices and career choices based on how you can serve yourself? Or how you can serve others? And again, Jesus says, look, if you know the feast of God's kingdom is coming, then you don't need to serve yourself now. So we go back to our man in verse 15. He says, blessed is the man who will eat in the feast of the kingdom of God. And you think at this point, perhaps he's just trying to break the dinner time awkwardness. You know, it's the sort of first century equivalent of anyone for more wine. I think what he's saying, though, is this. He's saying, yep, all good points, Jesus. Well done. Bravo, old boy. But thankfully, all of us here are part of that kingdom. And so Jesus tells another parable. A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who'd been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I've just got married, so I can't come. I mean, they're pretty pathetic excuses, aren't they? Would you buy a field without seeing it first? Do you really need to try your oxen out just at the time of the party? And of course, when you get married, your social life just stops and dies forever. I mean, this is ridiculous, isn't it? It's, it's sort of the equivalent of, you know, the dog ate my homework. It's creative, but nonsense. And so understandably, the host is annoyed, and so he says, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you, has, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. The master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who, will, who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. This is a stinging rebuke to the leaders of Israel that Jesus is sat with. Jesus, God's king, the king of God's kingdom, comes to offer people an invitation to be part of God's kingdom. But by rejecting Jesus, they, re- they reject the invitation and they will never get to taste the banquet of God's kingdom. You see, this parable shows us that kingdom people are not self-righteous, but those who accept the invitation These religious leaders, they think they're good enough. They don't see what Jesus can offer privileged people like them. And so they reject him. And I think we need to be honest and not kid ourselves that a church like St. Mary's is 
free from the issues of privilege, the looking up and the looking down. It might not be class-related, but it'll be related to something. Things that we think make us belong or things that we think exclude us or make us outsiders. And so this final parable has two crucial implications for us this evening. And the first is this. The first is a warning. Don't miss out on the kingdom of God because you're too proud to admit you need Jesus. Too proud to accept the invitation. You see, the tragedy of Israel is everyone who rejects Jesus will not get to enjoy the glorious feast. It doesn't matter how religious you are. It doesn't matter how privileged you are. It doesn't matter how fervent you've been or doing your quiet times for the last 20 years. It doesn't matter how good your life is in this world, how much of the Bible you know, how involved in the church family you are, how much you contribute. All of those things are utterly irrelevant if you reject Jesus who gives you the invitation into his kingdom. So if this evening your confidence before God is based on anything else other than the fact that Jesus has invited you to belong with him and enjoy that feast for all eternity, then your confidence is in the wrong place. The first implication is a a warning. The second implication is an encouragement. If you have accepted Jesus' invitation, you can have every confidence that you belong in God's kingdom. See, I wonder what makes some of us here this evening doubt that you belong. You know, or maybe doubt makes you think that you're on the fringes, somehow just sneaked in. Your background, before you became a Christian, what you've done, your weak, the sin in your minds that you're aware of and no one else's. Your deep struggles with sin, as you look around this lovely congregation on a Sunday evening, you can't really believe that anyone else struggles with. Or the fact that others have been given loads of responsibilities and you've been given few. Perhaps you'll struggle to understand the Bible. Well, thankfully, the wonderful encouragement from this passage is that none of those things disqualify you from God's kingdom. For when you reach those pearly gates, God's not going to ask you what you've done. He's not going to present you with a list of reasons why you don't belong. He'll just ask you, did you RSVP to the invitation? And if you have, if you've accepted Christ, then you will walk into the presence of Jesus and you will feast in a wonderful and beautiful and plentiful and perfect kingdom of God for all eternity. A banquet now, a banquet that you just can't even imagine now. It's all about Jesus' invitation. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for these wonderful parables, these wonderful stories.
thank you we get to see this evening the way Jesus laments and is sad about those who will not enter his kingdom. And we thank you that his compassion and love means that the invitation is sent far and wide so that his house will be full. We pray this evening, Lord, that if we haven't already, you might help us to accept that invitation. And Father, we pray if we've been Christians for a while now, that you would help us to be those who trust and put our confidence in Christ alone and his invitation. Amen.